0: Welcome to another installment of New Books in Poetry's month long celebration of the chapbook, Chapbook of Palooza. And actually, Lynn, now that I have you here, how do you pronounce your last name? Is it Strongin?
1: Yes, it is. Okay. It's a Russian name and a hard G. You got it right.
0: Okay, so we'll start the silence again. I just wanted to make sure I had that right. <clears throat> Welcome to another installment of New Books in Poetry's month-long celebration of the chapbook, Chapbookapalooza. I am your host, Jen Fitzgerald. Lynn Strongen was born in 1939 in New York City into a middle-class Jewish family, contracted polio at the age of 12. She attended the Manhattan School of Music, Hunter College, and Stanford University, where she earned a Master of Arts in Literature. In the 1960s, she lived in politically active Berkeley, collaborating with Denise Levertov, who described her as a true poet. Since 1979, Strongin has lived in British Columbia and published more than a dozen books. Her work appears in 30 anthologies. She has received grants and fellowships from the National Endowment for the Arts, American Association of University Women, and Penn American Center. Countrywoman Surgeon, was nominated for the Elliston Award in nineteen seventy nine and Spectral Freedom for a Pulitzer Prize in two thousand nine. In twenty fifteen, Headmistress Press published her poetry collection, The Burn Poems, which Alicia Stryker called fascinating work. Welcome, Lynn.
1: Well I'm very happy to be here and to thank you, Jennifer, and to thank the women at Headmistress Press over up here in Victoria, Canada. And we had a very small crowd for a very big reading because the people were so warm. And uh, the hostess, the woman who runs headmistress, said, You see, you have this gold here. You have this poet. We have lost her, and you have her now. And I said, Oh, no, I'll forever be an American poet in my heart. So, People call me a Canadian poet, but I'm not. I'm an American poet, and that's an important distinction in the language I use.
0: Absolutely, and um, I can tell you that America is not willing to let you go.
1: Oh, good. That's (laughs) lovely.
0: It's a mutual thing, then.
1: Great.
0: So let's start our conversation off with a poem. Would you please read for us The Tenderness of the Wren? And if there's anything you'd like to tell us about this piece, I invite you to do so.
1: I've always had the opinion that a poem says everything it has to say about itself in its own words, so I will simply start with the title. The listener can contemplate while I read what the tenderness of the wren, that tiny little bird, what it means and uh, how how it fits into their life, if it does. Mm -hmm. Okay. The tenderness of the wren. The heart it gives us when the beloved gets well. The sunken anchors through the blue of death bonds when they fail to heal. Some days patterning walls with rude mice church mice. Sisters take all the breath one likes, like blowing out candles, like on a lung machine i felt like the Iron not breathless yet, but nearly one, over to the other side. I had a terror, so I sang. Under my breath, over and under, swam the blue fish out of eternity. My miniature nurse was a toe bunion is worth. Well. We the love keeps with the tender telling of small things, the imprinted song in the embryo or full blown, air like corn silk, like milk. The dignity we must accord each other. Glacial then comes the wind warm-hearted laughing comes the girl from Ireland, and she slips from me, and I agonize.
0: Thank you very much.
1: You're welcome. I don't know if listeners will remember the Iron Lung, but I was caught in the big polio epidemic of 1951, and I lay in my bed reading the headlines, Polio beaten and saw of statement written, just coming in in 1951. So that is the lung I refer to. It's become a mystical thing in my life. And I said to both my mother and father, isn't that wonderful? If I have children, they'll never catch polio. Mm. And then I looked at them and noticed that both of them had wet eyes. There were tears in their eyes. Mm. The other reference I'll point out to the listeners as I sang because I Had a terror that comes from our great Emily Dickinson, who sang Besides Graves. Do you know that one, Jen?
0: I don't think I do.
1: You've got to go when this is over and read that poem (laughs) because it it meets all of mine and is wonderful. I will. Thank you. And the next poem you would like me to read is uh, A Reliquary.
0: Yes, A Reliquary Evening for sure, please.
1: Okay. A Reliquary Evening for sure. This is a of first by Charles Wright, the American poet. The bones in their tiny boxes, rosettes under glass. Charles Wright, last supper from the wrong end of the rainbow. I guess that's the end without the gold spot. <laughs> Nostalgia is an apron. I want her true. I want her home. I want her deep down, the down of the owl feathering, for night nice, each pinion in order, like a letter on a printer's tray. I want her to stay close, not paralyzed, like me. Hence, in her apron of photography, printed filmic purity. The image, holy, holy, holy. lifts come like a flare of lit match. and to be thrown out by word or gesture of spoon shaken in the nod of the creature, making the spoon nod. Is the wrong end of the rainbow, the one with no pot of coal. Darkness closes in it cannot be my imagining. The day before she, my beloved, she birds go back to work. I proceed carefully, not lay the fairy tale book away off its behavior, the stacking of things, my stacking of hopes, writhing. Maybe she thought, for all the labor, as her sick child who had to be positioned in a certain way. Two hot water bottles, one on the lumber spine, one higher, an ice patch on the popo. Maybe patching me with cold, now dashing away, flashing butterflies under glass, like lessons under glass. Winter has its own cutlery. God knows during these days thick home becomes cooking soup, polishing cutlery, propping pillows, cubicles obscuring every corner of day, like mail spots in old hotels. Like pushing into darkness and the back. Of the medicine cabinet, all that came over the months and years from the local pharmacy. Help us to hold fast to what makes us button the top button of the case most tenderly. that it cover all of me. of me. Thank you very much.
0: This is one of my favorite poems in this collection.
1: Oh, thank you. Those Two last ones are sort of, uh, they love love one is of belonging for the she and the woman. And I'm glad you said that, but I thought they might be a bit out there on the branch where I tend to go, and I'm, I'm glad they reached you because uh, because that's why I wrote them, really. Mm-hmm. Um, rummaging through boxes of old lace as follows, and this is a sort of cycle. It goes, you know, from one point to another. Mm-hmm. It shows well, Jen. You're a good chooser of poems, the order of them. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Ruminating in a scrum, love and anger combined. But gray, ink black, thunder color, hues of love and anger, boot string, shoelaces. Braces were struck, not high black, little old ladies. I came upon the serious ancient orthopedic braces, for legs, for back, for neck, the moon at its basis. Burning above one candle, for love, one for exit, Turned back upon when youth ended. We had it so good. Teddy, who would want to peril this? Started up again in 74th year. It kicked back at me, the boar with bristle of wild figs and moist things. It was an everlasting thing. Don't call it by its name. Word magic, then. Don't look at it in the mirror, elbow. Don't use the words, said friend. My nearest, dearest rummaging among cartons of old dress laces. It grew blue. 80. I found one with a child, engraved string. My fingers cut off at the second joint with dirty string. It wanted to have the shape of a heart, but ended in the shape of people. I stroked it in both hands, cupped a bird on the wing, but dashed into a window one foggy night long ago, a hundred years ago, in the past century, and that's the end of burning. the furnace, the unsung carol, the not mentioned private, foundie. Thank you so much. uh, That's the uh, meaning of the burning part. Mm.
0: Um, I know that many of the poems in this collection have a speaker who thinks deeply about ability and illness, and you as the poet have been candid about your own history of varied ability. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about how this speaker developed, how this clear and concise voice that carries us through the collection came into being?
1: Um, work. <laughs> work, <laughs> work and more work and blood, sweat and tears. I was drawn to the very early music which has four with four lines. If you know uh, Garibaldi, if you know just well though, Ross, very, very early music is simple. And in college I studied complex poems like I studied Milton, of course, and studied thought, and I studied the Lady of the Lake, and I hated it. I found it so gruesome. And then, in my 20s, Denise Levertel, I handed the poems to mine and ran away. I was too shy. I for an interview at Berkeley where she was visiting court for a week. I, all these kids were reading their poems out loud about and then he died in the muck of the war, and the and blood ran all over him. I mean, it was gruesome. It was, it was tabloid writing. Um, and I had ten rather simple poems and read nothing. I said, thank you, Miss Levertop, handed them to her, and ran as fast as I could in my silver wheels, which is my pet name for the wheelchair, which goes to life with me. So I rolled the life up and walked. And I saw how the her poems were, and I waited to hear from her in, some of the, uh, in Massachusetts, in a certain magical part of, of that. But, and about two days later, I got the package and the sprawl writing of the doctor. You know, no one could ever read doctors <laughs> or lawyers' language so, or writing. And it was from Denise, other Levertel, Grover, both, and that's and I opened it up, and in her large writing, she said, These are the poems indeed of a true poet. Wow. Keep in touch. But Keep in touch. I am in truth. Wow. That's awesome. It was. And for that, after that, I was so moved. The um, friend who took me to Denise said, What did she say? What did she say about your work? And I said, Oh, nothing much. She just found it was true. And they like, she found it was true? Yes, I guess true to itself. I don't know true to what, but at least <laughs> it's not phony. So it ain't phony. Um I couldn't write for about a year. I was so I was so stunned by her um comments.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But then I did and one of my poems called Pascal Poem, which as you know is the word for Easter, it's mm-hmm. not in the burnt poem. very early. Um I wrote about a vacant lot that faced my house in Berkeley. and The boy is about nine or 10. I caught polio two years old at 12, but I've always identified with boys walking through vacant lots and climbing trees. And I believe in androgyny. I believe all of us are a combination of sex, really. Mm-hmm. And, and I am a girl boy. So you know, I looked at him and identified and said, what is it to be so slender boy to walk the burning fields at sun must be the core of it? Mm. And in, in that, I'm north. I become like Shakespeare's young creatures. I become a young boy, so and that is a persona. But when I'm always flipping in and out of so easily that uh, I kissed my mother, I'm your best boy, and my sister said, I'm a boy too. <laughs> and this was such a strong influence. We stopped having periods. We looked differently. We really felt the only way to get anywhere in the world in the 1950s in America was to be a boy. We were totally wrong. She got to Carnegie Hall. She's a star artist. And I got wherever I am. I'm up here on the foggy west coast of Canada for the woman I love. And we couldn't both, I'm afraid, so I did. Mm -hmm. But we have inside us the core, I think, of both. Both boys and girls. That's why I wrote that one. Otherwise, well, who is my speaker? That's a really good question that you, Jan, put forth last night. And I never have had that. I don't know who the speaker is, but I know that I as the speaker become whoever is reading the poem. It's mm-hmm. worth saying the poem. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: I can see that. And and the idea of your poems being true, to me it feels like maybe the speaker of your poems is a version of your truest self.
1: Yes, I hope it is. I become that person when I write and rewrite and rewrite that poem. Mm-hmm. through blood, sweat, and tears, yes. I was just opening page 18. I don't know who of your readers has the book, but I said, when even the rag doll looks courty And you know those moments when everything around you has the look of failing and fading and even of death. And children could look at a ragdoll and say, hey, my ragdoll lost her right eye. She's bleeding. She looks sick. She's going to die, Mama, any minute now. So I looked at my favorite rag doll, she did look sort of corpse like I said, even when the rag doll was of you looked limp when we woke up she said, We never thought so I transformed myself into lover into two tired out old rag doll, mm-hmm. Which is how one feels so many days.
0: And yeah, we make it. Absolutely. It's been um, a real pleasure and a real honor to have you on to this program.
1: Thank you, it's my pleasure.
0: Um, This is Jen Fitzgerald with New Books and Poetry, reminding you to support all the arts, but especially poetry.